Greetings in the Lord Jesus. Good to be here again. Feels like it's been a little while. Uh, we have uh, missed some Sundays that we ordinarily would have planned to come this way, but uh, our life has been a little different than we planned for January. And maybe I'll just give you a little rundown. Eva's mom fell the day after Christmas. Not a bad fall, but it was enough that she decided that she's not safe to live alone anymore, and so we started talking about what to do. It came up during that time that uh, the, uh, well, what we call the Showalter sisters, the, the Heartland home had an opening, and, and she liked that idea, and so uh, we got her moved, <laughs> started working on the, getting ready to sell her house and, and all of that, and so the Sunday, uh, the last couple of Sundays, well, okay, last Sunday I actually had scheduled myself to preach, not realizing our Bible conference was here, and, and it just didn't work. Plus, by the time it gets to Sunday, my wife tells me that probably, I'm not sure, probably about 26 out of the last 35 days she has been down here anyway, and she is not used to running quite that much. <laughs> and uh, we just have felt pretty good to stay home sometimes. So anyway, it's been busy. We're not done yet. <clears throat> Still have some more to do. All right. Okay, so we just had conference a week and a half ago, and uh, I preached the moderator's message, and I just decided I'm going to give it here too. I was going to give it at Strasburg last Sunday, and it didn't work because we had a there and allowed him to preach. Thank you. <laughs> you can turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. We'll begin there. Uh, at conference, don't usually have a lot of uh, non-ordained there for the moderator's message, so I knew the ordained. Told them so, too. Uh, so here we're not preaching specifically to them, but uh, that would help maybe explain some of the, where I begin at least. I went through this and changed it a little bit for us, but not a whole lot. I uh, considered for a title 20 questions, but uh, because I ask a lot of questions, I don't necessarily answer them. That's for you to do. Uh, what I chose for a title was, Am I Safe to Follow? Am I Safe to Follow? And I was preaching to leaders then, but now I'm preaching to you, but we all have people following us, or we all will at some point in our life, so. In Philippians chapter 3, in verse 17, Paul says, brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven. From I know it says conversation, but it means citizenship in this case. For our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So Paul told these brothers in, in verse 17, 
You find people that live like I teach, mark them and follow them. And I told our ordained men that's where we belong in that verse. And not just them, some more of us too ought to be in that verse. Be the kind of people that are followable, followable. Now, verse 18 and 19, we might think about people out there in the world. Their God is their belly, their glory is their shame, and so on. And yet, I find Paul weeping because of them, and that makes me think that he's talking about people in the church. And so he's saying, don't be there. Well, the world is like that, and we live in it. <laughs> And we aren't persecuted by it, for the most part. And, and uh, we live in it and rub shoulders with it. And it's pretty easy to pick up some of its things. And so my questions today have to do with where are we in relation to the world around us? I guess we could put it that way. Well, someone said we do better, we Mennonites do better at abstinence than we do moderation. Uh, it's not just a Mennonite thing. I think it's probably a human thing. Uh, well, for one example, for me, if I went to lose weight, I'd do better at uh, just stopping eating for three or four days. Well, mostly. And I can lose a few pounds pretty quick. Well, it's not the best way to do it. They say it's much better to take six weeks and eat properly. That takes self-control and work, though, and we don't do well at that. I don't always do well at that, okay. And yet, if I'm gonna maintain my weight, it takes something like that. I'm sorry to tell you that, but it does. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> Christian life is like that just about all the way through. If you wanna grow, if you wanna stay holy, you wanna be a growing Christian, there's a lot of self-control involved. Not, there's some abstinence, too. So to be a Christian, we have to know the Lord. <coughs> we have to know, know the Lord and love him and be serving him with, with everything we've got. We have to live dead, die to self daily, live to him in conformity with the Lord Jesus. We, we humans, we like a set of rules pretty well this list of things that we can check off and say, yep, I'm okay. We, we do that at communion time even, somewhat. We've got these five questions and we go down through them and we check them off and we're all right. Well, the Lord does give us a set of rules. I'd like to turn to those in Second Peter chapter 1. When you get to the end of them, he says this, if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So there it is, <laughs> a, a recipe for getting the glory. Just follow these steps. Second Peter chapter 1. Start at verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him which has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So here's the introduction to the list. And in the next few verses, 
tell us what we need to do if we want to never fall. Think about these as we go through them and see how many you can check off. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Goodness, I guess we could say there. Um, to virtue, knowledge. Have you learned it all yet? To knowledge, temperance, self-control. And to temperance, patience. You ever get impatient? And to patience, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. To brotherly kindness, charity. None of these can we look at and say, yep, I've got that one in place. <laughs> or if we do, we're going to find out tomorrow we don't and have to start working again. But he says, for if these things be in you, verse 8, and abound, they make you that you, are, you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You will bear fruit. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If these things be in you and abound. And so... The things that I'm mentioning this morning, they fit into these verses probably. And yet they're not things that, that you can quantify. That's why I'm asking questions and not saying, you ought to be doing this or you ought to be doing that. I can't always tell you what you ought to be doing. But you ought to be concerned <laughs> that you're growing in all of these areas. And I ought to too. We draw our lines at different places and various things, and that's okay. But I'd better make sure I'm safe to follow. All right. Questions. Am I being a good steward of the manifold grace of God? Turn back a couple of pages in your Bible to First uh, Peter 4. Am I being a good steward of the manifold grace of God? So, verse 10 in chapter 4, 1 Peter says this, As every man has received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as of the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I don't know if you've noticed, but I have. Most of the time when we talk about stewardship, we're talking about money. <laughs> and often we're talking about saving money. That's not the New Testament idea of stewardship. It never talks of stewardship that way, except in parables. And we already know that parables <laughs> mean something besides what they mean. They, they aren't talking about money in general. What is it that we're stewards of? Well, the New Testament talks about being stewards of the gospel. Here it talks about being stewards of the many-fold, many-faceted grace of God. Every man here has received a gift. Every person in the church has a gift. 
One of those parables talks about the talents. This man's given one, he's given five, he's given ten, whatever. That's our stewardship. You've been given a gift. You're here, you're alive, <laughs> you have life. It's not yours, we're not our own, we're bought with a price. God gave it to you, and at the end, he's not going to ask you whether you saved a few dollars at some point or not. He's going to say, give me my talent back with what is due, with what you made. Occupy it till I come and do business and, and bear fruit for me. Did you bear fruit? So our stewardship is our life. And if I happen to save a few dollars, unless I took that few dollars and used it for God's glory, I just saved a few dollars. That's all for myself. But you've been given a gift. You've been given your life. And, and you've been called to give it back to God. Present your life, present your body, a reasonable sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. We know that. Am I seeking God's kingdom and righteousness first? Before anything else? That whole context has to do with money, has to do with making a living. And we say, yes, we have to make a living. Yes, we do. The Bible talks about that too. But where is my heart? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Where's your treasure? Am I being a good steward? Well, am I, am I denying self? Am I denying self or am I living in pleasure? So Jesus said, and when to his disciples, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And here I just have questions for you to think about. Would the one who had no place to lay his head be comfortable owning my home in today's society? How ritzy does my home have to become before it's, well, wrong or whatever you want to call it? I don't know. Would my down-and-out neighbor be comfortable coming to visit me in my home? Would the one who constantly gave him himself of his strength, of his time, of his very life be comfortable sitting and discussing the advantages and disadvantages of the 30-some eating places on the eastern side of Harrisonburg? Would he frequently be drinking cappuccinos, frappes, lattes, uh, I had a couple others that I've forgotten, espressos and all that while he's doing his ministry, especially if he had to pay $6 a piece for them. I don't know what they cost, by the way, except in airports. <laughs> I have an idea <laughs> what a coffee costs. Uh, what about the Apostle Paul? How would he view those things? He's the one who wrote that she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. She that liveth delicately is dead while she liveth, I think is the way the margin reads. The, does any of that apply to my life? Should it apply to my life? And here's one I think I forgot to say in my moderator's message, so I'll say it now. As a preacher of the gospel, how many pounds overweight do I need to be before my conscience kicks in? <laughs> okay. I got on down the sermon further and thought, you know, I don't think I got that one said, so I got it this time. 
<laughs> anyway, with the one whose chief form of recreation seemed to be going up on the mountain to pray, be comfortable going along with me on my recreational outings or spending the amount of money that I spend on them. Would he, when he goes to buy something, would he feel like he has to have the best? And no, I know there's a, <laughs> there's a good reason not to buy the worst. Would he choose to make a living by providing for other people's luxuries, pleasures, whims, whatever? Am I denying self or am I living in pleasure? And again, I'm asking the question, it's up to you to do the hard work and think. All right, going on. Am I giving? Am I giving like the Lord Jesus gave? God loveth a cheerful giver, a hilarious giver, I'm told is what that means. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And yes, we do well at the bank giving. I notice the offerings. And, but then it's pretty easy to give money, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, that's not the only thing we need to be giving. We are most like the Lord Jesus when we're giving. We are most like the Lord Jesus when we are giving of ourselves in something that actually costs us something. And I think probably the best antidote that we have for to keep us from laying up treasures here on earth is to give. To have what uh, Deuteronomy calls the open hand. Deuteronomy 15:11, thou shalt open thy hand wide unto thy brother, to thy poor, to thy needy in the land. The best way to put self-denial into practice is to be a giver, is to be a, a liver for others, put it however you want to say it. And no, self-denial is not really the goal. Jesus did say we should do that, but that's not the goal. The, the goal is to be a channel of God's love, mercy, goodness, to, be, to, be a, to have that river of living water flowing up through us to others, to be a, a fountain of blessing because we're focusing on blessing and helping others. Self-denial is a result of that kind of life. We're just so wrapped up in following the Lord Jesus and being a blessing in the church and to others that uh, what's left doesn't matter all that much. Self-denial is a, a positive, a beautiful thing when it's the result of being a giver. Am I a giver by nature? Am I a giver by, well, it's got to be a new nature. Am I proclaiming the gospel to those who have not heard it? Jesus said, as my Father sent me, so send I you. His last words, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Proclaim it, tell it. Don't have to be a preacher to do it. Been to Guatemala a number of times in the last few years. Uh, flying in from El Salvador, it's a pretty short flight, so we don't get that high. And a couple times in the daytime, I find myself looking down on those hills and, and seeing the little towns. You know, some of them, some of them are big enough. They've got the Catholic Church plopped in the middle. Some of them are just little gatherings of houses out in the woods almost. And 
I've been in some of those towns in Guatemala, but I, I find myself thinking, well, here are probably tens of thousands of those little cities or gatherings of people scattered throughout Latin America. They might have a Catholic church, might be some Pentecostals around. Most of them, there's no Mennonites around. And am I glad then to see my children go? <laughs> am I raising my family to be gospel takers <laughs> or money makers? Are we as preachers glad to see our members decide to go? Are we as members glad to see our pastors go, by the way? I believe that's what happened here. So anyway, that's what they did at Antioch, too. They sent their preachers out. Am I teaching the principles? Of course, I was speaking to preachers then. Now I'm speaking to parents. <laughs> Nonconformity, non-resistance, Lord's Day observance. Abstinence from alcohol, the non-swearing of oaths, some of those things that, that basic doctrines that we've held to. Do I understand the principles? Am I teaching them to my family? Do I live by the principles or do I just live by the rules? If we just live by the rules and we don't know the principles and we don't teach the principles, <clears throat> Our children aren't going to stay with us. They're going to be going. Am I teaching my children to obey? The single most important thing we can teach our children is to, well, maybe two things, respect and obey. They need to learn that obedience, disobedience has consequences, Always. And yeah, I've, I've watched even some parents that I, oh well, anyway, we'll stop on that one. I, I've watched and I've seen it happen. I've done it myself where you tell a child to do something and get busy and he doesn't do it. And after a while you say, didn't I tell you to do that? And back to work. And after a while it's still not done. Is that obedience? That's not obedience. God's not satisfied with that from you. You want to see young people grow up to be strong and able to stand for their convictions, teach them to obey well at home. Makes a world of difference. Though there's a Family Life article, I think it's in this current one, with an interesting title, spoil the, Spare the Rod, Spoil the Church. Spare the Rod and Spoil the Church. And uh, I didn't read it all. I read the uh, italic headings in it, and it uh, looked like it's pretty good. But he had a point. Strong homes that teach consistent, respectful obedience are going to be the backbone of any church. Do I, obey, do I obey my authorities? And this is pretty closely related to the last one because that's where we learn to obey authorities at home to our parents. So, yeah, we Americans, we fudge on speed limits, we fudge on zoning and building codes. We, 
fudge on all kinds of stuff because we can. And I think that's probably a large part of the reason we do it. And no, we're not a rules-based religion. I thought about that. Said we shouldn't live by rules but by principles, but we even fudge on church positions. We can, so we do it. And the, the funny thing is, there's two sides to that coin. On one side, I hear a saying, it's not prohibited, so we can do it. Church doesn't say, don't, so I can do it. We don't do the hard work of figuring out for ourselves what's good for us <laughs> spiritually, what will make us more like Christ, how to be more obedient. So the church doesn't say you can't do it, so it must be all right. Well, that's false. But on the other side of that coin, we say, yes, I know it's prohibited, but I don't agree, so I do it anyway. Do I obey my authorities? And I'm not particularly talking about wearing masks and worship services back during COVID. You know, conference discussed that whole thing and gave some room. Some of us didn't have real good attitudes about some of the other rules that were around. Some of us just didn't obey them. And God doesn't give us the right to disobey our authorities unless we have a good scriptural reason, and when we do disobey without a good scriptural reason, we're going to suffer spiritual consequences. I don't know always what that, those are, but God just says, be sure your sin will find you out. And he calls it sin. COVID did teach us that uh, we may sometimes draw our lines at, at, at different places, exactly to where biblical convictions say, you know, I need to not do what the government's asking me in this case. We may not always come out at the same place, but we do need to draw a line because there will come times government does ask us to do something that isn't right. When we draw that line, we need to make sure we base it on what God says. <laughs> Loyalty to him, not loyalty to good old me. Am I promoting brotherhood? Goes along with the Sunday school lesson. The New Testament places a higher rank of importance on brotherhood than on the individual. Look at the Sunday school lesson. We're, we all are just members of the body. The body is the important thing. So, Paul said in Philippians, fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. <laughs> strife is fighting, vainglory is pride. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Am I promoting brotherhood? Paul himself set us good examples. He said things like this, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. If I be poured out serving you, I'm happy. 
Another place he said, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the sufferings of, of the afflictions of Christ in my, in my flesh for his body's sake. I'm suffering like Christ did for his body's sake, and I'm glad to do it. 2 Corinthians 12, 15, he said, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. And that's not the end of the verse. <laughs> Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. That makes it a little tougher, by the way, when, when you give yourself and you give yourself and you give yourself and, and then person, the people you're trying to help turn around and walk away. Am I promoting brotherhood? Do my business and occupation decisions take into account the church? Am I safe to follow? Do I willingly curtail my freedom, some freedom or other, in order to make sure I don't cause a brother to stumble? Do I teach my children to respect, show respect, and to honor the brothers and sisters in the church, to love them? Do my children hear me speak negatively about other church members? You see, a choice to serve the Lord Jesus is to serve his body. You can't do it any other way. The commitment to the Lord Jesus is a commitment to the body. There's no other way to do it. When you are baptized, you're baptized into the body. When the Spirit comes into you and baptizes you, you're baptized into the body that way, too. To take Romans 12, 1, and to present my body to the Lord as a living sacrifice, it's presenting it to his church, his glory in the church. That's true for all of us. In terms of the intel. Okay. Am I promoting brotherhood? Do I do the things that promote love? We talked about it in the Sunday school class. You know, you have members that need more attention. Maybe we didn't say it that way, or, or members that don't seem as important or whatever. Well, make it your business to make them important. <laughs> make it your business to love the Lord with all your heart and your brothers, yourself, and your sisters, and, and determine that you're going to be a part of this body and make it grow. And you don't necessarily have to know what your gift is to do that. <laughs> Just get in there and be a part of it and love the Lord and try to help each other. And God takes care of your gift. In fact, uh, it seems like when people start worrying about their gifts, it makes more problems. <laughs> God's able to show you what to do. Just do it. All right. Am I submitting? Am I submitting? Well, let's see. My Bible's still open to First Peter. In chapter 5... Verses 5 and 6, actually speaking to the preachers here, but it applies to everybody. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. 
Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Summation, well, it's of utmost importance to a church leader, but it's of utmost importance to all of us. We are all under authority. Most of us, and some, well, probably all of us at some time in our lives either have authority or will exercise it. We cannot exercise authority rightly if we are not under authority. It just won't work. Submission is a, it's a spirit. It's a way of living that, that says, I am not important. I don't have the authority. I do what God says. I follow my Lord's example of meekness and humility and submission. I can submit to injustice for his sake without complaint. I can be mistreated. I can be misunderstood. That's okay with me. I'm not important. I can die for Christ. And I will not respond out of character, out of his, outside of what his character is. Well, sure, we fail sometimes. <laughs> I won't ask if anybody never did. I know you did. I did too. But when we fail, we take care of it. Am I submitting? I was thinking about conference. I was thinking about preaching to these preachers, and one day uh, my wife read to me a quote from a book she was reading. It was about uh, Franklin Roosevelt, who was president back from about 33 to 45. And in the 1940 election, it was just before World War II came to the United States, or came, we got involved. Wendell Wilkie was the Republican candidate who ran against him. FDR was running for his third term, something nobody had ever done before. And uh, he won. Wilkie lost. Six days later, Wendell Wilkie went on the radio, and let me just read you a little bit of what he said. It, it impressed me quite a bit <coughs> for a number of reasons. You'll have to, you could figure out some of them yourself probably. So this is what he said. <coughs> In the campaign preceding this election, serious issues were at stake. People became bitter. Many things were said which in calmer moments might have been left unsaid or might have been worded more thoughtfully. But we Americans know that the bitterness is a distortion, not the true reflection of what is in our hearts. I can truthfully say there's no bitterness in mine. I hope there's none in yours. We have elected Franklin Roosevelt president. He is your president. He is my president. We all of us owe him the respect due his high office. We give him that respect. We will support him with our best efforts for our country. And we pray that God may guide his hand during the next four years in the supreme task of administering the affairs of the people. There was a man who was more concerned about the unity of the country than he was himself. And uh, 
couldn't help but think of conference. We gather together, about 60 couple ordained men, and we speak strongly sometimes on conference floor. We, we don't usually get bitter anyway, uh, but sometimes we can speak quite strongly our opinions, and then we come to a decision, and then it's up to the ones who maybe thought differently to support. And I guess if Wendell Wilkie could do it, maybe we can too. And it's not just preachers in conference who have to deal with that. The rest of us do too. Am I a victim or am I an overcomer? Americans, maybe not just Americans, but Americans is where I see it. We've become experts at blame shifting. We love to say it's not my fault. I can't help it. So I have a traumatic experience and I respond by going head over heels into depression or anxiety or bitterness or anger or some other sinful response. But it's not my fault. He did it. His fault. I'm a victim. And I wallow around in my victimhood, enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, sometimes we do. And I find counselors and I find friends who sympathize and, and just aid it right along when I could have gone to the Lord Jesus, to God himself, and gotten the victory over that. Millions of faith believe, faithful believers through the years have. <laughs> there are millions that have suffered traumas beyond anything any of us will ever see. And they maintain their faithfulness. Oh, maybe sometimes they have to regain it by coming to rest in the Lord Jesus. Is my God able to do what he said he would? Is your God able? Will he keep his promises or will he not? Must I become a victim, never able to get victory? I don't think I'd. I'll answer that one for you. It isn't so. Now, that's not saying there aren't ever struggles, we know. Even I have them. Am I asking and receiving? You know, the New Testament promises are clear. We're commanded to ask in Jesus' name and expect to receive. And I told those preachers, here we are, ordained leaders in the church of Jesus Christ. And sometimes we face these complex issues, problems, call them whatever you want, are we wringing our hands and just, what do we do? Or are we going to the Lord in prayer and asking and receiving? When we, it's his church, it's not our church. What did God promise? Is he able to take care of it? Well, you can apply this to your own situation. We all face those things that just get, what do we do? What did God promise? Will he do it? Well, he said a number of times, ask in the Lord's name, expect him to do it, and he will. Doesn't mean sometimes we don't have to do some difficult things. Doesn't mean sometimes that we don't understand. May even sometimes be like Job and say, well, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I don't know what's going on here, but I'm going to trust him anyway. Am I asking and receiving? These last couple, I've tried to turn toward more positive things. Am I rejoicing? 
And so when God does answer, am I praising him? Do I give him the glory for it? And do I make it known that uh, God's been blessing me? It's uh, Christian night. We have devotions there every morning. And on Monday mornings, they allow testimonies. They ask for testimonies, things God has done for us. And sometimes I find myself thinking, well, yes, God answered that prayer. But, well, I can't really tell about that one. It's uh, a church matter. It's sort of private. So. But anyway, God does answer those prayers. And we have lots to rejoice in. So if someone puts me down, someone cheats me because they know they can, I lose some money because of a dirty deal, am I rejoicing anyway? I should be. I have every reason in the world to. I'm on the winning side. My God is able. His word is true. <laughs> it's sufficient. I should be counting my blessings. And lastly, am I growing? We all know we have lots of room to grow. Sometimes we know it better than others, I know. Am I satisfied with where I am? Paul wasn't. He said, I pressed toward the mark, brother, and I haven't attained yet, but I'm going after it. Do I recognize my need, my desperate need for the Lord just to make it through this day and tomorrow and this week bear fruit for him. I don't have what it takes. Do I recognize that even with all the negatives around me, we can look at society and some of the stuff that tries to rub off on us, and, or maybe even some negatives in the church, that I can make a difference, I must make a difference, I must enter the battle and fight it on the Lord's side, not as one that beateth the air, <laughs> but run to win the prize. Am I growing? Am I focusing on the Lord Jesus, not on the problems? I do if I'm going to be winning and growing. Let's have a song. <laughs>